Welcome to Curva Mundial. Hello, and welcome to another episode of Curva Mundial. I am your host, Sal Bono. I am joined by German football writer and founder of the German Football Newsletter. Please welcome to the show, Borussia Mönchengladbach supporter, Adam Kahn. Guten Tag, Adam. Yeah, what a hearty welcome there. And we, we talked about it a bit before the recording started, but just a fantastic pronunciation of Borussia Mönchengladbach. So if any of the Corva Mundial fans want to give him some, some crap in the comments, don't do so, because I think that he deserves, he deserves all the praise he can get for that one. Ah, uh, danke schön, my friend. I uh, that's about the extent of my German that I that I have here. Um, the only other thing I can give you is maybe a couple of Rammstein lyrics, but that's really <laughs> that's, kinda, that's for a different podcast, man. Completely, yeah, completely different time. But you're a German football expert and guest, and we, and I'm excited to have you on and bring you on because you are actually the first person that's going to take us to your wonderful country. And I'm just really excited to finally get a chance to talk German football, which I know very little about, sadly. And I've tried to follow, you know, over the years, and I have followed over the years. I support uh, Hertha Berlin, really only because of Christoph Piontek when he went there after AC Milan. I loved him. He went there. I've been following them for a couple of years. They're not good. Uh, so it's it's kind of been, and, you know, Berlin as a city, as a music fan, it's sort of like, all right, there, there's a central location there. But it is interesting for me to, like, learn about this and for you to just, you know, enlighten us a bit. You're coming to us from the beautiful Dusseldorf, who has a team in the city, but they are in the second division of German football. So what's it like to be in that city? And what is that city like for someone who has never been there before? Yeah, I think a big part of that is also to mention kind of Borussia Mönchengladbach geographically. So if you compare it to Düsseldorf, for example, there's far more people that would live in Düsseldorf compared to Gladbach. Or the same goes for a city like Cologne. Cologne is a much larger city than Gladbach. And even the players, for example, goalkeeper Jan Sommer for, for Borussia Mönchengladbach or, or captain Lars Stindl. Both these players live in, in Dusseldorf just because it has the proximity where you can make it to Gladbach every day, but the city is just a bit livelier in itself. Okay. All right. So that makes sense. So now Gladbach is a city is what it, yes. or town. Okay. Very cool. So it, of course you're a fan of a team who has the hardest name to pronounce, but as you said, I did pretty good. Uh, but you know, and they're in the same region in Germany as Dusseldorf, as you had said, which is the North Rhine-Westphalia region. Yeah, and obviously that's that's a very large region. So if you break it down a little bit, you would say the, the Rhineland-Palantine region. And then basically that's just generally West Germany. I mean, and specifically Gladbach, very close to both the Dutch and the Belgian border. So from Holland, it's 30 kilometers. From Belgium, it's 50 kilometers. So you see a lot how that actually has a big role to play in Gladbach as a club because... There's also a ton of Dutch fans that would go to Gladbach and also a lot of friendships with Dutch clubs that that Borussia Mönchengladbach have built up over the years. Wow. So now, you know, Dusseldorf, as you said, very cosmopolitan. It's got influence from a lot of places. What is like a typical weekend? You know, what is there to do? You know, take me on a walking tour. Like, what do you do for fun? What do you know? What's that region like, especially, you know, now, like in the fall, winter? Uh, For Dusseldorf, is, is that your question? Yes. Yeah. So I think Dusseldorf, personally, is one of my favorite cities in, in Germany. I think that Dusseldorf and, and Munich and Hamburg are kind of the ones that that are always my, my go-to on the weekends. And I think what's so great about Dusseldorf is 
it's just the right size. It's not too big where you say you can't really understand it. I mean, that's what so many people have, have kind of figured out with Berlin, right? It's just too massive to really get your head around what's going on there every weekend. Versus Dusseldorf, it's a bit smaller, but it's still extremely lively. And there's so many different parts of it. For example, you have the Little Japan, which is one of the biggest Japanese uh, streets outside of Japan in all of Europe. And for example, Dusseldorf has the biggest Japanese proportion of, of um, population in all of Germany. So that's a huge influence. So yeah, if there's anybody out there that perhaps likes Japanese cuisine or, or Japanese culture and lives within Germany, I definitely recommend going to Dusseldorf. Ooh, I like this. I, so, all right, this is very cool because, you know, what's funny is, is that when you look back, when you look at Germany from afar and when you just think of like traditional Bavarian cuisine, which is excellent, but obviously there are so many different regions and different, you know, cultures, it is still a melting pot. It is basically like, you know, the center of the European Union universe. Yeah. And so, you know, you're a fan of Borussia Mönchengladbach and how did that come about? Yeah, so just to, to probably understand from my dialect, I'm actually from America. So oh, okay. I moved over to Germany just, just three, four years ago. And just for studying reasons, for work reasons, that kind of ultimately came about. But my father was German, so we always grew up with German football in the household. And my grandparents actually come from Germany. So in the summertime, we were often in Germany visiting them. And when there was the odd football game that you could go to, that was always a possibility. But of course, in the summer, there's not the Bundesliga to look forward to. So you always have these weird mix of friendlies and qualifiers and tournaments. So what eventually happened is that actually one of the first games I ever went to was a Europa League qualifier for Borussia Mönchengladbach. That was against a side from, from Bosnia. And it was a great atmosphere, right? You have the juxtaposition between Borussia Mönchengladbach, who is already a side with a huge fan base, which we'll probably get into a bit later, but also this kind of Eastern European away block, which is also a sight to behold with, with flares and with so much activity. And I think Gladbach, that was the era with Granit Xhaka, Torden Azard, so really promising side. And yeah, kind of seeing the mix of the football, the fan culture all coming together, it got me hooked. That's awesome. You know, what was it like, the cultural difference for you coming from the, where in the States are you from first, and then going to Germany, making the conscious decision that I want to live here full time? Yeah, so I'm from from Philadelphia, another sports mad city. Yeah. I imagine there's, there's some people that will know about the Philadelphia 76ers or the Philadelphia Eagles and, and know what their fans are accustomed to getting up to. So in general, sports always played a big part of my role. Specifically, it was soccer, but like I said, growing up in, in a city with that big of a sports culture, you're, you're drawn to the, the spectacle and the event of it. So for me, it was always finding a club in Germany that almost re reflects those values. And that's something that I think that Borussia Mönchengladbach does extremely well. That's awesome. You know, the team has its roots from when the Kingdom of Prussia was still active and the nickname of the club is the Prussians or die Borussian in German. But they didn't enter the Bundesliga until 1965 and were super successful in the 1970s. Yet today, despite still being a top team, they don't get the shine of a Bayern or Dortmund. Why is that? Yeah, I'm just to go back to the earlier point, the fact that, OK, they entered the Bundesliga in 1965, but the Bundesliga was actually first founded in 1965. So that's oh. a big aspect. Yeah, I was just about to say that's a big aspect to, to point out there that the Bundesliga is actually much younger than most of the other European leagues. And then the fact was that Germany held off with, with making 
um, football players professional for so long. That was kind of a thing that they did not want to do. And like you said, though, it wasn't like Gladbach was a very successful team before this great 70s era, which we'll probably get into. Before the Bundesliga founded, they were always in the Oberliga Westfalen, which is the second division in the regional league. So that would almost be like what your third divisions would be like today. So even though they weren't in the Bundesliga for reasons they couldn't really control, they also weren't necessarily the super successful side that, yeah, as we get into, they, they became pretty quickly. Wow, that is, that's really, I had no idea about that. So now when you think, as you said, like the Bundesliga is, is relatively young. It's a, but it's a thriving league. Yeah. A lot of the teams are fan owned, which is unbelievable and really beautiful. But, you know, the league itself comes in the backdrop of the Cold War. You, I, I, you're, you're quite young yourself, but in your history and like in your research, what was it like for West Germany to create a league in the midst of the Iron Curtain being up? Yeah, I mean, there's probably so many other guests you could get on here that would probably have some some better insight to that. So I'd recommend particularly looking at some some guests from Union Berlin or Hertha Berlin who really can see that from the East German perspective, because that's an even even better evaluation of, of this kind of Iron Curtain in the fall when the Bundesliga reunifies in the late 90s. But in general, you saw the fact that, yeah, Germany went from extremely regionalized soccer to, to then a national event in the 60, in, in 1965. And compare that to the Premier League. Okay, the Premier League was founded even later, but England still before that had almost 100 years of fully unified football divisions versus Germany did not. And that's obviously, like you say, a big factor in, in almost Germany kind of slowly building into the fact that this iron turn was falling, that they go from extremely regionalized to then West Germany, to then the next step to being a fully unified Germany. And almost how that reflects from the football to wider society is, is pretty interesting. That is interesting. So now what you're saying also then, so that when the curtain fell, they did allow other teams from the East to come on in and Hertha being one of them. Yeah. So that's a really interesting story in itself. The fact that, you know, East Germany is, it was extremely lively before the iron curtain fell. They, they had, clubs that won the UEFA Cup, for example, SFC Magdeburg won the UEFA Cup after being AC Milan, right? And right. That's, that's now in the second division. And But so many other clubs, not just Hertha, who are the most obvious, but also clubs like Dinamo Dresden, a, a team with still a very lively fan culture, but not necessarily one who is living up to those, those conditions in the Bundesliga. Same goes for a side like Hansa Rostock, another one. And what's so interesting about that fact is you quickly saw how the East German clubs just didn't have the funding to compete with the West. I mean, many of them fell out of the top division soon after joining Dinamo Dresden being one of them. And for a long time, you didn't even have a representative in the top flight when Hertha Berlin fell out to the Zweite Bundesliga in the late 2010s. I think there was a season where not a single club from East Germany was in the top flight. So from that perspective, it's really interesting to bring it back to kind of our, our terms right now, where we see Union Berlin top of the table. This is actually the first time ever, I believe, that aside from East Germany is top of the Bundesliga. So yeah, it's it's just a very interesting backstory where you could definitely dedicate an entire podcast to that. That is super fascinating. Um, it's still something that I obviously Germany has gone through strides in the last 30 years for reunification, but it's still something that fascinates me. And I think because I remember being a kid, I was six or yeah. seven when the wall fell and those images still so vivid. And we just celebrated 
the 30 year anniversary just a few years that, ago yeah. the wall coming down so it's still like it conjures up all that stuff yeah. and just just a week ago actually this or yeah last monday was actually german reunification day so that was actually the the day when the wall fell so you know for you you know being there now and and in in the midst of all this beautiful history that's still being written and supporting this team, what has it been like for you the last few years now being in the thick of it, supporting Mönchengladbach and seeing what they've been able to do? And also this bizarre, and, and I use bizarre loosely, but interesting was the better term, topsy-turvy Bundesliga season. Because as you said, you have an East German side now topping the league as this podcast is being recorded. So what is that like? Yeah, it's super interesting. I think the fact that, Gladbach as a team itself is a super interesting club because you're almost in this weird spot between being a mid-table club without really ambitions of going up or down and being a club that is a Bayern or Dortmund or Leverkusen who are kind of constantly fighting for European places. If you're not able to get in there, it's, it's, a, it's a complete disappointment. So yeah, what's so interesting about Gladbach in that respect is just the fact that the fan culture, the history is, is so large but the, the expectations in the now and here and now aren't necessarily of the standard of where they once were. And you see that all around the globe where there were so many clubs. I mean, look at England, the lights of Aston Villa, Nottingham Forest. There's so many good examples of that. And that's a club where I would kind of compare Gladbach's current standing to. Now, Gladbach, as we touched on earlier, the 1970s, they were a dominant force. Do fans look at that era and say, that that'll be it for us it, it was just that decade and you know kind of like i know you're a you're from philly so you'll get this hockey reference kind of like the new york islanders in the early 80s where it's just like they're the dominant force and they haven't been able to do much since yeah i mean i obviously get some of the reference i don't know how many of the other viewers may get that one right. but yeah <laughs> ultimately it's just me and you talking here and i guess we can have some inside jokes as well that the podcast listeners might not understand but Back to your question, I guess. Yeah, I think that there's definitely an element to that. And I think that some of the recent events in Gladbach have sparked a bit more optimism. You look at the fact that they made it to the knockout stage in the Champions League two years ago. The fact that they've routinely now been a side that can qualify for the European places. But all these are a little bit overshadowed just by the factor that they're still a club that aren't in a financial place where they can hold on to these talents after many seasons. And you see that both with the players and the squad, the likes of Dennis Zakaria or Matthias Ginter, two players that were really top earners at Gladbach and top players, both moved on last season, but also in the factor of the managers, where right? you look at Marco Rosa, who played some tremendous football at Gladbach and then ultimately went to Borussia Dortmund. And, and just before that, also the factors like Lucien Favre, when his time came to an end, and he also moved on. And there's just so many managers who have, yeah, been a really big factor in Gladbach, but ultimately, like so many players as well, have ultimately decided to take that final next step to an established Champions League outfit, which Klapa just can't compete with at this at this moment in time. Got you, got you. Um, so you would, basically, you would say they're a selling club at this point. Yes, unfortunately, I think I would say that. I think that there's obviously, I mean, the word selling club, there's, there's many factors to being a selling club, right? Like a, a side that's playing in the mid-table second division to be a selling club, just like a side like Lappak that's in the top half of the Bundesliga. So I think that if you look at the selling club, they're probably in the, in the very top, top echelons of that. But nevertheless, there's, there's still a side that, yeah, isn't able to compete with these truly big, what, 30 clubs in Europe that are 
constantly in and around those European places. Ooh, you know what? Um, I do have a German question for you. What does Borussia mean? Because I see it in front of a few teams, obviously this one and Dortmund being another. What does that word mean? Yeah, I think there's, like you said, it, it has its roots in, in Prussian. So the Borussian, the, I think it's the, the United. I'd be welcome to correct me in, in fact, but as you said, there's so many clubs that have that. Borussia Dortmund as another stated example. And you'll hear a lot that the Dlubak fans, the Einzige Wahre Borussia, which is the only true Borussia. That's kind of the song that they like to sing when Borussia Dortmund comes to town. So yeah, just a bit of a, a bit of a rivalry there because of that Borussia term at the front. That's very cool. In early 2020, my wife and I were on our honeymoon in Cape Town, South Africa, right before the world shut down. And we met a man from Stuttgart and he was a Stuttgart fan. And I asked him how the club was doing. And he replied to me, and I'll never forget this for as long as I live. It's January. It doesn't matter how we're doing now because Bayern always wins. Is that the statement and sentiment across Europe? I think that it's hard to say, right? It depends really how you're entering the lead. If you ask a Borussia Dortmund fan, I think that's a respectable answer, right? How you're doing well, it depends on how Bayern's doing. But for Gladbach, I think that really FC Bayern is the least of our worries, right? How they do in the division doesn't really impact us that much. Instead, it would be, hey, wait till the end of the season and ask us how Bayer Leverkusen is doing or wait till the end of the season and ask us how Teisky Hoffenheim are doing because these are kind of the sides that we're competing with at the end of the day. Wow. Okay. What In Europe, you see, you know, when it comes to Champions League, as you said, the Leverkusen, it's Dortmund and it's uh, Bayern that are competing for those European spots. Those are the teams that are representing the league across uh across europe and of course you know on a global scale for global brand recognition i can't believe and i hate the fact that i use that term for teams because it sounds too corporate but it you know that's the fact of the matter these days but why is it that still despite the fact that there are still other clubs and i know leverkusen and dortmund fans are probably going to have the knives out for me but it still comes down to Bayern is the club from germany when it comes to success in the league, despite other teams doing well financially and other teams doing well across the continent and other teams playing fantastic and representing what German football still is. Yeah, I think there's there's multiple different angles you can look at. The first is obviously how integrated you are into German football, right? Because if you're only really interacting with it on the surface, be it through outlets like what ESPN FC or... Um, um, what are your other big outlets? Um, oh, it's blind. Bleacher Report, for example, right? The ones that only really give you the headlines. Obviously, it seems to be a lead that is dominated by, by Bayern Focus. But if you kind of go more in-depth on it and, and you look at outlets from within Germany or, or even around the globe that, that only cover the Bundesliga, you'll see that there's so much more varied coverage of the lead. And it goes far beyond just Bayern, but also... The, the number of clubs in the division, just like we said with Gladbach, there's so many sides of just rich histories that also have play a big part in their, their modern history. And then again, on the other factor, you look at the fact that unlike the Premier League, for example, where, okay, you may have sides like Manchester City dominating right now, but before that you had United and before that you had Arsenal and before that you had Nottingham Forest for, for a quick tenure in, in the 90s and and there's constantly different sides that kind of grow into this prominent role versus in Germany, since the Bundesliga, it's really been Bayern and a competitor, but Bayern was always the mainstay at the top. So Bayern's really been the centerpiece for what is that now? Um, 
70 years almost that they've right. now been kind of the, the key team and, and everybody else shuffles in behind them. So yeah, that's obviously a factor. And like we said, Italy doesn't have that. You saw Juventus, Inter, Roma all have their different era of dominance. Even in, 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 in Spain, you at least had Real Madrid and, and Barcelona kind of flirting in between each other for a while. So yeah, that's something that is unique within Germany and something that probably is, is only harming the league for its international reputation. What is a big factor now, and especially in modern football, obviously, is money. People have said that money ruins the game. I can't argue that point. We've seen a lot of heavy investment in Italy. We've seen, obviously, a ton of investment in England and in Spain and, of course, in France with the likes of PSG getting bought by, you know, an entire government. We don't see that happen that often in Bundesliga. We've seen Red Bull come in buy a bunch of teams you know there's salzburg there's uh red bull um uh why can't there's another one i can't think of it right now um but red bull has two teams at least in both austria and germany and is this because a lot of the teams won't sell because they are fan owned and they want to keep it to the people or is it because the offers haven't been that great that it's not enough to let go and sell to someone from, I don't know, either the Far East or an American consortium that has an endless supply of cash. Yeah, I mean, believe me, the offers have been great for for Bundesliga clubs. There's a lot of talk about the fact that, for example, FC Augsburg, a really small club by Bundesliga standards, talking about how billionaires from Saudi Arabia offer them millions to buy into their club versus any German entrepreneur would, would give pennies on that dollar. So yeah, it's not that that outside investors don't want to invest. It's the fact that Germany are holding into this 50 plus one rule, which basically says that the fans have to have a majority ownership in the club. And that's why it's so hard for teams like an Airbnb Leipzig to grow into prominence in the division. But you look at it on the other hand, it's also not necessarily holding German football back because the team that does follow 50 plus one FC Bayern are a European superpower because they've planned correctly and, and they have made smart decisions. And there's obviously other factors that go into that, but chief amongst them is just the fact that they have long-term planning and, and they make smart recruitment within their means. And that's something that over the long term just allows you to have a bright future. You know, I really appreciate that. For a number of reasons, but it still gives the power to the people. While you can still be successful, yes, some teams will be more successful than others, but it all depends on their financial planning. In a lot of ways, and what's kind of crazy is that it mirrors what's gone on in the EU. You've seen, you know, obviously German being this great financial institution, if you will. It's a country that has been supplying and helping the rest of the EU, but they're getting the books in order and the leagues follow, and the league follows suit. The teams follow suit. And again, having the 50 plus one rule is really spectacular, kind of showing that it's still the people's game and it belongs to the people. Do you think that that will change or is that just such rooted in German values that no, it's ours. We're not going to, we're not going to sell it unless we absolutely, absolutely are in dire straits and need to. Yeah, it's a really interesting discussion and we're not the only podcast or only people that are having it because the 50 plus one rule is, is an oddity in modern football. When you look, compare it to the Premier League, it's it's laughable in the English media's eyes that Germany is still, still going by these backward ideas. But I think a balance in the middle is kind of where it needs to come to. And I really like some of the ideas that Germany has already implemented. 
For example, if you have invested for 20 years in a club, then you can break the 50 plus one rule and, and take over majority ownership. That's something that Hannover 69, for example, have done in the second Bundesliga. And I think that's a really viable idea because it basically makes the investor play the long game, right? You're holding out 20 years before you can then become the majority investor and take over that big role. And that's exactly something that, that you hope to see instead where in England you you have investors that can back out at any minute. Look at Roman Abramovich, for example, at Chelsea, right? He's now been forced to leave after, I believe, what is that, less than 20 years at least. So yeah, that's a big factor that I think is, is something that should play in Germany's favor, finding a, a good balance between keeping up with, with modern football, which like you said, is a business, but staying true to the roots, which yeah, are ultimately what the fans around Europe, around the world love to see in the Germany, which makes an X factor compared to these other major divisions. And you're seeing German teams in Champions League going, yeah. going the distance, going really hard, going far. That yeah, I mean, look at, look at the fact that that last season, okay, FC Bayern obviously are the side that, that everybody thinks about when it comes to European glory for the Bundesliga, but Eintracht Frankfurt won the Europa League. That's a side that has right. a small budget compared to your Man United, your Arsenals, who are currently playing in that competition. But they were ultimately the ones that, that were able to, through smart recruitment, through long-term investments, through all these things that we just talked about, they were able to then be the ones that ultimately lifted European glory and, yeah, now playing the Champions League. It's fantastic. It really is. As stated earlier, you are the founder of the German football newsletter. What is that and how did that come about? Yeah, it's a really interesting conversation just for... The first part about it was just the really lack of high-level coverage of, of the Bundesliga in, in English. And I don't mean the high-level coverage of Bayern and Dortmund. I mean the high-level coverage of the Bundesliga because there's so many other interesting storylines within the division that, that make it so exciting. I'll take an example just from the last piece we did. We did it actually about Haas Fall, which play in the second Bundesliga, another really historic club, and, and going in-depth on them. And it's now our most viewed article ever, and it just shows the fact that there's really there's a yearning for for high level coverage of, of stories that are go beyond just FC Bayern and Borussia Dortmund and beyond the baseline and really go into these historic clubs who may not perhaps have have the coverage that they that they that they should deserve in in, in America or wider English speaking regions. But there's just a yearning and a fan base there, and that's kind of what the German football newsletter looks to achieve. That's. That's wonderful. And congratulations on that article. That's really great. You're welcome. Uh, where where can people find it and how can people sign up for it? Yeah, if you go to Substack and type in the German Football Weekly, it should appear there. You can also go to, to my uh, Twitter bio at etsets, Adam Khan etsets, and you'll find also links there. So yeah, there's a variety of different ways to get to it. And yeah, like I said, I can only only recommend subscribing. It's free to subscribe for, for a newsletter every week. So there's really no heartache that needs to go into it. And you'll learn a ton and you actually might end up falling in love with a whole new league and a team that maybe you can't pronounce, but you kind yeah. of really enjoy. <laughs> now time for a coffee break. Curva Mundial is sponsored by Mod Cup Coffee in Jersey City. But you can get it anywhere in the world from ModCup.com. Mod Cup, drink modern coffee. Use code MUNDIAL for 10% off your first order. Adam, we're in the home stretch now. I got three questions for you. This is the this is where I ask everybody on the podcast. Um, rapid fire, and here we go. 
If you could bring back one retired player to your club, alive or dead, who would it be and why? Ooh. I'm going to go with one that probably none of our viewers have ever heard of, but Juan Arango. I recommend typing in Juan Arango in YouTube, an absolute magician of a free kick taker. And, and yeah, it came at that right sweet spot in your childhood when you're around like eight to 12 and first falling in love with the game. So yeah, he gave me quite a few good memories. And I imagine that some other Gladbach fans will, will agree on me with this one. So yeah, to everybody out there, some homework, type in Juan Arango on YouTube after this one. Hell yeah, that's awesome. Now, money is not an option. You have a PSG arsenal of cash. If your team could sign one player today, who would it be and why? Hmm, okay. Well, I guess the first answer is that following a club with PSG money cash isn't any fun. So I actually would, would defer the answer if I could. But on the other hand, if I had to choose one, I think I would go with Jamal Muziala. I think I just enjoy watching him play football it's it's a lovely sight as always and it's still not your established superstar you can still watch him grow and, and be the one to say oh i was there when he was 19 years old and tearing it up for bruce and love but so yeah i'll go with jamal muziala love it love it and finally what has been your favorite moment as a fan my favorite moment as a fan oddly enough i think it was i think it was in lockdown celebrating the qualification for for the knockout rounds in the champions league it felt just the fact that that like obviously it was a depressing time everybody was at home there wasn't any fans in the stadium and to have such a monumental occasion not be celebrated as a fan base was was yeah deeply sad but then on the other hand you saw kind of how united everybody in such a struggling time and, and how it kind of breathed new life into into what was a very mundane life at that point in time so yeah that I'm very thankful for, even though it's not something that that is is coming every every year at Lovebook. That light and darkness, it's a it's a good feeling sometimes, you know. Yeah, Adam, this has been awesome, and thank you for the education here, everyone. Please, as Adam said, go to Substack and type in what was it again? German German Football Weekly. German Football Weekly. Subscribe, and you'll get more stories just like this. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me. Follow us on Twitter at Curva Mundial Pod and subscribe to us on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. Thanks for listening.